2 Kings chapter 22. We're not going to have special music today uh, because of, of the uh, SSBC. Uh, we will try to have it next week, uh, but 2 Kings chapter 22 is what will be today. We've been really mulling over this passage for about three weeks now, uh, knowing that this is going to be the July 4th weekend. And uh, I believe this is what the Lord would have us to hear today. 2 Kings chapter 22, uh, this uh, <clears throat> passage of Scripture uh, is also, the story is also found over in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Uh, very interesting time in Israel's history. I'll mention that later. But look in verse number 1 with us this morning. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 30 and 1 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jedidiah the daughter of Abiah of Bashkath. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And so I'm going to have at this time, Brother Mike May, if you are uh, returning your tithe to the Lord online, you can go to finley.church slash give and you can bring your tithes and offerings through the uh, website or this morning if you would like to return your tithe we would we would we do not pass the plates during this time but you can drop your offering in the offering place before you leave today brother mike if you'll come pray for this uh, uh this offering and then, of course pray for the preaching of god's word thanks brother mike before we pray just as a matter of uh prayer this week if you would remember all the law enforcement officers around the country uh as of today there's been 116 uh law enforcement officers that lost their lives in the uh, line of duty in the united states number 116 was friday night in toledo and uh, officer anthony dia is two years with the toledo police department he's 26 years old uh he was killed in the line of duty and he left behind a wife and and two young children so if you'd remember those in in your prayers uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Also, keep Finley Police Department in, in your prayers. They're going to swear in a new police chief on Monday morning. Uh, I don't know if the, the man's saved or not, Robert Ring, but if you would keep him in your prayers, that God would guide his steps and, and his thoughts and give him wisdom throughout the, the days that are ahead of him. It's not going to be easy for him, so we just keep them in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we gather here today, Lord, it is good to call you Father. But as we call you, Father, we know that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You sent your own Son, Lord, to shed his precious blood to cleanse us of our sins, Lord. And without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission of sins. Lord, we just can't take that for granted. Lord, we can't take it lightly, what you've done for us. I pray today that as we gather here, that our hearts be ready, that we'd be the vessels that you would have us to be, that we'd be purged of our sins, be cleansed, Lord, that we would come and be prepared to, to be that house, that place for the Holy Spirit that resides in each and every one of us. And, Lord, as we come today, Lord, as a pre, uh, pastor prepares his message and prepares to preach to us today and to teach us from the Word, Lord, we pray that we're ready to receive that Word and we're ready to receive the truth. Lord, only truth comes from your Bible. Lord, we can't rely on men around us in this world to tell us the truth, yes. but we can rely on you. You're ever so faithful to us. To, to tell us the truth and that we can know the truth. We pray that you anoint the pastor, Lord, work through him. Lord, allow, not allow his flesh to be in the way, but you would use him as an instrument to get yes. your word out today and to hear, yes. uh, to preach exactly what you would have us to hear today. Speak the words that you would have us to hear. Lord, we thank this opportunity that we have to gather today as we have the offering plates in the back that those who come today can return their tithes and offerings to you lord with a cheerful heart be a cheerful and glad giver today that we have an opportunity and a privilege to come today and deposit that which belongs to you already lord we ask that you bless it and multiply it and use it for your will lord we just ask today that if there's one listening whether they be in this auditorium or online today that doesn't know you as our personal lord and savior Maybe they're wondering what we're even talking about by knowing you as our Lord and Savior, that today their hearts would be convicted of their own sin. Lord, that they would invite you in and that they would be saved today, knowing that their eternity is secure with you. Lord, we just ask that you bless this meeting today of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be using it uh, a little bit today. If you have your Bible, Second Kings chapter 22, 2 Kings chapter 22, and... Uh, if you would uh, like to get there quickly, I'm going to move through some stuff today. And, and interestingly, this uh, uh, 
this, this statement that I'm going to make, I'm not trying to shock anybody with it, and I've been accused of that. Uh, I'm not trying to uh, have a cliche uh, or anything like that, but I do want to use it and actually build a, uh, a case, if you would, a biblical case that America is right now existing on borrowed time. America is existing on borrowed time. And then the premise on, on this is, and, I'm, and again, this is in no way uh, uh, a statement to, 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 to show uh, uh, how, how, uh, how serious this is or show how that, that in any way I'm taking it lightly. But uh, I want to show biblically how you can borrow more time. Uh, and, uh, and I'm going to show that to you. Okay, so uh, yesterday... America celebrated its 244th birthday, and uh, it's been incredible, almost 200, over 200 years, almost 250 years of, of history. 244 years ago, uh, we as a nation declared our independence uh, from Great Britain, and, uh, and it is now, I believe, in a different state of mind, uh, spiritually, economically, socially, than we were uh, 244 years ago. Uh, we have, and we are, can I say it this way, declaring more, if you would, readily uh, from the population uh, an independence uh, from God. And uh, we have, we've created almost an idea that we can, can live without him and we don't need him. And I know that there's people and there's philosophies and there's those that are teaching uh, and even trying to change public policy, uh, who would contend that America was not founded as a uh, as a Christian nation or as a a nation built on biblical principles? I know that they're out there, and uh, but a study of the lives of the signers of the Declaration of it, just a small study, not even a deep study, just a small study of reading some of the quotes from our founding fathers. Uh, it's indisputable that they were heavily influenced by the Bible from the Scripture. Uh, out of the 56 signers of the Declaration, 27 of those 56 were uh, seminary graduates. They graduated from Bible seminaries. Ronald, uh, Reverend uh, uh, John Witherspoon, uh, who uh, was overseeing the printing of a Bible uh, by Congress in 1782, and we took a copy of that Bible, reprinted that in the Capital Connection about four years ago, and was able to hand that Bible to all of our representatives uh, in our nation a couple of years ago. But that was under a congressional act to print a Bible, a King James Bible, in 1782. And it's interesting that there's uh, people that say, well, we're not a Christian nation, but Charles Thompson, the Secretary of Congress, was responsible for the first translation of the Bible in America and published the Thompson Bible, Thompson Study Bible. Benjamin Rush founded the first Bible society in America, the Philadelphia Bible Society. I could go on and on. So the signers of the Declaration of Independence were responsible for starting 121 Bible societies in eight years. I mean, so, so, so the idea that says, oh, the founding fathers had no uh, influence from the Bible is just wrong. It's historically inaccurate. Uh, I could quote from you, uh, for you, George Washington and, and uh, Thomas, uh, 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 Thomas, uh, 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 excuse me, uh, uh, John Adams, and uh, uh, even uh, Thomas Jefferson. People say, well, he wasn't saved, and he may not have been saved earlier in life, but you start quoting and finding out what he quoted later, I believe the man understood who Christ was. And so I'm saying this morning that America did not start like she is today. 244 years ago, she started as a nation that largely feared God. And today, uh, we're also, we're in, in this idea that we're, we're declaring our independence from God himself. So I'm borrowing a term uh, that, uh, that, that may be shocking, may be controversial, but I'm borrowing this term on living on borrowed time because, biblically speaking, our nation should have already been destroyed. Biblically speaking. All right? 
And, and I'm going to show to you a little bit interestingly a story of this uh, that happened here. The, uh, the story out of 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23 and 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and 35 surround one of the most amazing revivals in Israel's history. In fact, nothing ever compared to this revival that took place here. Uh, nothing ever since then has ever taken place in Israel's history. But this was a very low time for Israel. Uh, and you'll find here that uh, uh, there was uh, uh, a lot that needed to be cleaned up. Things that were happening in this time in Israel's history uh, was appalling. If you would just reverse the clock back to the time that David was king and then Solomon came and dedicated the temple to the Lord. It just started, if you would, a downward spiral to where we have uh, approximately 250 years or 280 years after the first king, David, Josiah comes on the scene and it's a mess. But I want you to note something as you kind of build this idea that they and Josiah's time was living on borrowed time. Now, watch this. There was a revival that was going to come, a revival like nothing ever happened before. But they were living as a nation on borrowed time. How do you know that? Go, if you would, back about 275 years to the book of 1 Kings chapter 15. 1 Kings chapter 15. And you'll note here a very interesting phrase that took place here. Look in verse number 1. Now we're primarily dealing with the southern kingdom here, Judah. Out of all the kings of the north, which would be Israel, the ten tribes that went north, none of those kings were good. They were all evil. But there were a handful of good kings in the southern kingdom, in the kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem would be, okay, where the throne of David will be one day. But here, look in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse number 1. Now, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, that would be the northern kingdom's king, the son of Nebat reigned Abijam over what? So we're dealing with the southern kingdom, right? Now, verse number th- uh, two. Three years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Absalom. Now, look, verse, verse number three. And he walked in all the sins of his who? Father, which, which would have been Rehoboam, which he had done before him. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, Now, look at this comparison as the heart of David, his father. Now, verse number four says, nevertheless. Now, I know he says this is is an evil king. I know that his heart is not with me. But verse four says, nevertheless, for David's sake, did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set his son after him to establish Jerusalem. So, in other words, Abijah, you are a mess. You are an evil king. Nevertheless, I'm going to let you be king. I'm going to let Judah continue to exist because of David. So, can I say it this way? God allowed Abijah, who did not know what was happening, borrowed time from David and gave it to Abijah 275 years before Josiah. Are you all following me so far? So you can say that the southern kingdom was living at this time already on borrowed time. Because if you look in verse number five, because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life. Now, here's that bad testimony that he had on this one area, save only the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now, look, if you would, in 2 Kings chapter number 8. Now we're going 200. No, stay with me. This is a little bit of Bible study here. We're going 209 years before Josiah. I'm trying to to prove the point that Josiah is living on borrowed time. He's going to be a good king. He's going to do some incredible things. But Judah is living on borrowed time. And they've been living on borrowed time really since Jeroboam, but we're getting a rather uh, 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 Rehoboam, but we're getting clear indication that from Abijah, he says, I'm not destroying it because of David, my servant. You all with me so far? Look, if you would, in second Kings chapter eight, 209 years before Josiah. And in the fifth year of Jehoram, 
or rather Joram, the son of Ahab, the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat being the king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. Who's this? Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem, and he walked in the way of the king of Israel, as did uh, the house of what? Ahab. So he did not follow God. He's following the house of Ahab. Uh, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. No, there you, they'll figure it out right there. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, verse 19, yet the Lord would not what? Destroy Judah for what? David, his servant's sake, as he promised to give him a way, a light, and to his children. So can we say that this king here was also given time, borrowed from David. He's living on borrowed time. Are you all with me? So he didn't deserve anything that God was giving him. But he was living on what God gave to David, living on borrowed time. Look, if you would, in 2 Kings chapter 21. Now we're getting to the worst king that Judah ever had. Okay, this king right here. And it happens to be the grandfather of Josiah. It's interesting, isn't it? It's a really... There's a lot of drama in this. But look in verse number one. Manasseh was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hepzibeth, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up in the high places which Hezekiah's father had destroyed, and reared up altars for Baal, and made a grove, as did Ahab. Ahab, king of Israel, and worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, uh, of which the Lord said in Jerusalem, why I put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his sons pass through the fire and observed times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a graven image in the grove that he made in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem have I chosen out all the tribes of Israel. I will put my name forever. Neither, verse 8, neither will I make the feet of Israel move any more out of the land which I gave their fathers only if they will observe to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they hearken not. And Manasseh seduced them to do, watch this phrase here, more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. So in other words, this guy's worse than even the nations that the Lord destroyed. Can we say this? Manasseh is living on borrowed time. Look at verse number 10. And the Lord spake to his servants, by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations, hath done wickedly above all the, uh, the Am- Am- Amorites did, which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah. Now look at this phrase here. I had to read it four times this week just to wrap my mind around what, what, it, what it even means. That whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall what? Tingle. So he says, when, when I'm done with Judah, whoever hears about it, both of their ears are going to tingle. That's a powerful statement there. So just the hearing of this news is going to affect people physically. Verse 13, And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. For I will forsake, I will forsake the remnant of mine inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies, because they have done that which was evil in my sight, and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came forth out of Egypt, even to this day. It's bad. Moreover, moreover, verse number 16, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much. Okay? Until he had fulfilled Jerusalem from one end to the other, besides his sin wherewith he made Judah to sin in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Judah 
was in trouble. Judah's on borrowed time. So, here comes Josiah on the scene. In chapter 22. And we're going to see the most amazing revival. But it comes in a time where Judah was the worst it could possibly be. Judah was on borrowed time. See, pastor, does this happen throughout the Bible? Well, think about it this way. When Jonah was sent to Nineveh and he preached to those in Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, very wicked people. They would be present-day ISIS. They would behead people. They have statutes and findings, archaeological finds, that these people were just brutal. And I'm not going to tell the whole story, but Jonah did not want to go. He ran from God. He finally goes, and he gets into the city of three days' journey, and he begins to say, 40 days, and God's going to destroy this place. And God doesn't do it. They repent. And in my study, I found that the city of Nineveh was not destroyed until 148 years later. Can I say it this way? Nineveh was living for 140 years or 48 years on borrowed time. So God allows nations, individuals, time to repent. And when we get to Josiah's reign, they were ripe for judgment. They did not know this. America, I believe, is a condition that, of, of such that we have become almost, in a sense, we are ripe for judgment. And America does, and most of America doesn't know it. And most of America, frankly, don't really care. And the majority of America, as if you were to talk to anyone on the street, are we under the judgment of God? Who is that? So this event happened in 640 B.C. under Josiah's reign was the greatest revival in Israel's history. And this revival is consistent with other portions of Scripture in showing how God allows the nations to change, to repent, thus, listen carefully, thus delaying his fierce judgment. That's why the premise of this lesson this morning, yes, America is living and existing on borrowed time, but how can I borrow more time? Because that is in the Bible. How can I get more time for God and from God? Okay, so let's dig into this. Go to the book of 2 Kings chapter 21, actually chapter 22, and verse number 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. I read these two verses. Look down at verse number 3. And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Saphon, the son of jo- uh, uh, Az- Azaliah, the son of Mesoluam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the doors have gathered of the people. Now listen, the, revi- the revival hasn't hit yet. Josiah is coming on the scene and he says, you know what we ought to do? We ought to go down to the house of the Lord and we ought to get some things cleaned up there. Now look in verse number five. And let them deliver it into the hand of the doors of the workers, the work of the work and have oversight of the house of the Lord and let them give it to the doers of the work, which is in the house of the Lord. Now watch this to repair the breaches of the house. Now something's going to happen when they do this. Okay. There's steps to this. I really believe this, folks. You're not going to get to step number two without step number one. Step number one, Josiah says, hey, let's get back to the house of God. Let's get that place. Let's get it cleaned up. Let's get the breaches repaired. Let's get some carpenters in there. This is Josiah. The revival has not happened yet, but you find a heart from a king to his nation, rather a heart from a king to his God for his nation. And this fact that this young king is so interested is a miracle in itself in this environment. Here's a young king. Usually the youth are saying, we don't care about God. Here's a young guy coming up and says, we do care about what God thinks. We do care about the house of God. We do care about repairing the breaches in the house of God. And there's something said about the house of God. It meant something to Josiah. Josiah says, I want to get back there. I want to clean it up. It's something about the house of God. It's a place where God's people would gather. It's a place where God's people would sing. 
Which, by the way, in California, I saw a story, and I mentioned it in my Sunday school class, that they're going to try and attempt to ban singing in churches. And you cannot have more than 100 people in a congregation. And the size of your church, 25% capacity, is all they're allowing in in California. And so Josiah, uh, you find, we got to get to the house of God. Why? That's where God's people sing. That's where God's people serve. That's where God's people pray. That's where God's people would bear one another's burdens. It's a place where God's people love. It's a place where God meets with his people. It's a place where God's people are admonished. It's a place where the lost are reached. It's a place where truth is held in high esteem. It's a place where altars are built. It's a place where joy is shared. It's a place where tears are shed. It's a place where we share and care and uplift and rebuke and receive and reward and reach and work and win and run. The work of the house of God, it's something you said about that. It's not just a house. It's God's house. It's God's house. In 1 Timothy 3.15, But I, by tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. There's something to be said about God's house. About God's house. Josiah says, I don't know about this God much, but I know that that's God's house. And let's go repair it. So number one, how do I borrow more time from God? Watch this, folks. Watch this. Repair your relationship to the house. Get back to church. Start with repairing that relationship. Start that. I'm going to get back there. I'm going to start praying like I used to pray. I'm going to start giving like I used to give. I'm going to start serving like I used to serve. It's not just a place I'm going to maybe think about. I'm going to be there. I want to be around God's people. That's what Josiah said. Get back there. Clean it up. Get the breaches fixed. And in doing that, the second principle came together. Look in verse number eight. Now, this is an order for a purpose. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said unto Saphon, the scribe, you're not going to believe this, he said. You're not going to believe it. I found a book. (laughs) I found a book. I found a book of the law in the house of the Lord. Now, can I just say this? Until they got to the house to clean it up, they wouldn't have found the book. Are y'all here? People try to separate the church from the book. Listen, they go together. The church is not the enemy to your home, man. It's It's a blessing to you. It's a blessing to your family. Okay? Why? They did not find the book until they started cleaning the house. The relationship to the house got them to the book. How many understand that God wanted them to find the book? I want you to find this book. I found the book. They servants have gathered money that was found in the house and have delivered into the hand of them that work and have oversight of the house of the Lord. And so found the scribe showed the king saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And so found the, read it before the king. My question is this, how they lose the book? You ever think about that? How do they lose the book? It had been lost for how long? I don't know, doesn't say. But the impression that you get when you read when Josiah heard it, it's the first time he ever heard this book. It's the first time he ever heard the words of this book. So it's probably uh, a, a, a fair guess to say that this book had been, me- been missing for quite a number of years. Maybe a hundred years. Maybe a hundred and fifty years. Based on the condition of Judah un- under even Rehoboam's time, 275 years ago, that book may have been lost. How was it lost? It's an old book, but it was new to Josiah. That old book was something that Josiah never heard. That old book, those scriptures, those words, Josiah is listening to as a king and said, I've never heard this before. That old book lost by God's own people. Now, if I live... And I was in those days and I were wanting to look and find a book that God wrote. I would not go to Nineveh. I mean, they were pagans. 
I, I wouldn't necessarily go over to Assyria. I wouldn't go to Babylon. I, I wouldn't do that. If I were going to try to find a book that God wrote, I would probably go to Jerusalem. And if I were to go to Jerusalem, I'd try to maybe go into the temple and try to find it there. That tells me how frightening it is that the only people who should have known where the book was have lost it. Lost it. And I think that is a situation that is occurring today. In many churches today, the word of God has been set aside by God's people and completely oblivious to what they're doing, setting aside the old book, saying, you know what? It's outdated. It's not necessary. Uh, we have anything else. We have other things that we can put instead of this book. And many churches that were once on fire for God that would preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ have become shorn Samson's. They're weak. They've lost their strength. They've lost their glory. The candlestick has been removed. They've replaced the preaching with the programs, the doctrines with the drums, the scripture with the disco balls, exhorting over exercise classes. They have torn, questioned, corrected the scriptures. America has lost the book. And when Israel lost the book, they're falling into all kinds of unscriptural practices. Because they lost their mooring, folks. They lost the truth. They don't know what truth is anymore. Truth, as the Bible says, is fallen in the street. And listen, when a nation that was born as a nation, that book that was given to them by God, entrusted to them by God, they've been lost. When, listen, this nation was born, there were some people that believed in that book. The old book. Noah Webster said this, quote, education is useless without the Bible. The Bible was America's basic textbook in all fields. God, I'm still quoting. God's word contained in the Bible has furnished all necessary rules to direct our conduct. Noah Webster. John Adams, the founding father of the, uh, found, one of the founding fathers, second president. Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book. And every member should regulate its conduct by the precepts there exhibited. Can you imagine him reading this to Congress today? Every member would be obliged in conscience, into temperance, frugality, and industry, to justice, kindness, and charity toward his fellow men, and to piety, love, and reverence toward Almighty God. What a utopia, what a paradise that region would be. Wow. William Penn, founder of Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, quote, I do declare to the whole world that we believe the scriptures to contain a declaration of the mind and the will of God. And, in, and to those ages in which they were written, being given forth by the Holy Ghost, moving in the hearts of holy men of God. That they ought also to be read, believed, fulfilled in our day. Being used for reproof and instruction that the men of God may be perfect. They are a declaration and testimony of heavenly things themselves. And as such, we carry a high respect for them. We accept them as the words of God himself. Thank you, William Penn. John Jay, the first chief justice. Quote, by conveying the Bible to people thus circumstanced, we certainly do them a most interesting kindness. We thereby enable them to learn that man was originally created and placed in a state of happiness. But according to uh, becoming disobedient was subjected to the degradation of evils, which he had his posterity ever since experienced. The Bible will also inform them, them that our gracious creator has provided us a redeemer in whom all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. 
that this Redeemer hath made atonement for the sins of the whole world and thereby reconciling the divine justice with divine mercy and has opened a way for our redemption and salvation and these unestimable benefits are for uh, of a free gift and grace of God, not our deserving nor in our power to deserve. Thank you, John J. I could go on and on and on about our founding father's view of the Bible. Can I say this? Our country started with the book. Our country started with a belief that there was an absolute source of truth. But America has lost the book. A book was found. And I believe sometime in the last 244 years, I don't know when it was lost. Maybe when the new translation started hitting. But America has lost the book. God made male and female. That's told us in the book. It tells us the truth. That God loves all men. God loves all people matter, by the way. This book tells us what sin is. This book tells us and describes what righteousness is. This book shows us where redemption is found. This book tells us what happened in the past. This book tells us what's coming in the future. This is not just a normal book. I found a book. Well, read it. Okay, king. The wicked shall be turned into hell and the nations that Forget God. Psalm 917. This whole movement today is only here because America has lost the book. Steps to borrow more time. Get back to church. Get back to the book. Because God can always rather do something with someone's life that says, there may be something in there for me. I was with Roy this week and finishing up lunch, and we had a Buddhist lady come up, and she started talking to us about, we started speaking to her about where she she believes, Hindu, Hindu woman. And she said, "Uh, I'm Hindu. I, I believe God is everywhere. God is in me. I said, have you ever read the Bible? And here's what she says. No, no. But my friend, actually, she says, yes, I just started reading the Bible because my friend just gave me a copy of one. I said, in that book right there is God's word. I said, start in the book of John. Read it. And she said, okay, I will. America lost a book. But God has always held this book in high esteem. But when people start looking to the book, real change happens. I can't tell you the number of times that I get texts from people that say, I've not been around the Bible in years. I have not heard preaching out of God's word for years. I haven't read the Bible for years. But God is doing something in my heart. Life is coming back to me as a believer. I'm starting to hunger and thirst after something I thought was just a dead old book. I found a book. I found a book. It started with repairing the house of God. And then they found that book. But look in verse 8. Verse 8 says, And Helkiah the high priest said to the Saphon, the scribe, I have found a book in the law of the house of the Lord. And Helkiah gave the book to Saphon and he read it. And Saphon the scribe came to the king and he brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money. And as I read all this, look in verse number 10. And Saphon the scribe showed the king, saying, Helkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Saphon read it for the king. Now watch this. And it came to pass that when the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he went out to lunch. That he texted his friend. <laughs> that he said, that's your opinion. <laughs> that's just your interpretation. No. He rent his clothes. He rent his clothes Number three, judgment was pronounced by the written word. Now, remember, 
They're 275 years from a very clear declaration from God that they were living on borrowed time. They didn't know it. They didn't know it. And now they're going into hearing this written word. The king heard it and the king humbled himself. Can I say this while we're here right now? That there's not a, there's not a, um, a dearth in Bibles in our country. We've got Bibles everywhere. Okay? We've got them everywhere. There is a problem, though, with hearing what is in the book. Now, Amos 8.11 kind of ties perfectly into this. And here's what it says. And I'm going to quote it. It says here, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. It's one thing to find a book. It's another thing to hear what the book says. Watch this. And then respond to what the book says. That's why it's very important for us not to just take this as just words on a paper, ink on paper, pages just between two covers of leather. No, this book is more than just that. It is God's word. And I'm not going to ask you to turn there. You want to study this. You go to 2 Chronicles 34 and you find the word of the Lord. Okay, this book was the word of the Lord. You'll find that down around verse 30 or so. I'm saying this, that this book right here is not just a normal book. It's God's word. But... We have to listen to what it says and we have to respond to what it says. What did he do? He rent his clothes. What's that mean? He broke. He humbled himself. He broke. It broke him. He never heard this before. He that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. I can take you to Hebrews chapter number three where it talks about being reproved and just listening and not doing anything about it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's one thing to read the book. It's one thing to hear the Bible read. It's one thing to hear the Bible preached. What are you doing with God's word? Ladies and gentlemen online, what are you doing with it? Is it just a book that you like to hear some guy yell about? Or is it God's word that speaks to your heart? That does something to you and responding to it? We're living on borrowed time. Thomas Jefferson, the third president, quote, God gave us life. God gave us liberty. And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are of the gift of God? They are not to be violated with his wrath. Indeed, I tremble for my country, when I reflect that God is just and his justice cannot sleep forever. Ladies and gentlemen, what do you do when you hear God's word? Josiah humbled himself and God blessed him. So how do I borrow more time from God? Number one, I need to hear, or rather, I need to repair the house of God. I need to get back to the house. I got to get back to the book. I need to listen to what's in that book, and I need to respond to what is in that book. Now, let me show you something even more difficult. Verse 14, 2 Kings 22. So Hilkiah the priest and Akim the uh, and and, uh, uh, Archbor and Saphon and Asariah went unto Huldah, Huldah. The prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Harast, keeper of the wardrobe. She was a seamstress. What are you doing? She's just, I'm just sewing some dresses. Well, she's a prophetess. Can I say this? Brother Marshall mentioned this about two years ago in a sermon. When the women, not disparaging women at all, please note, but when the women are in spiritual leadership in a country, that is a sign that the country is about to fall apart. You can go to Judges. you find it here. There is prophets, but they went to Hel- uh, Helka. They went to her. I, just may, I may have just stirred some of you up on that one. But Joyce Myers is an indication that we're in a mess. We're in a mess. Is she doing something good? Yeah, probably. She's out of place. 
but we're in a mess. What does she say? Well, it says in verse number 15, she said unto them, thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Now this is the spoken word. He already got the written word. Now he's getting the spoken word. Thus saith the man that sent you to me. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. But the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall ye say unto him, thus saith the Lord of God of Israel, is touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was what? Tender. And thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become as desolation and a curse. And as rent thy clothes, God looked at that, and wept before me, he heard that. I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Listen, if God, listen, if God hears from you, you will hear from God. That's the principle. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in what? Peace. Now, note here, stay here real quick. They were under indictment. I mentioned this last week. They were under, if you would, a time period. The clock was ticking. They didn't know when it was, but judgment was going to come. It was going to come severe. He's going to wipe Israel as one that wipes a dish and turns it upside down. Nothing's going to be left. When people hear about it, both ears are going to tingle. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be a desolation. There's going to be fires ravaging wolves. There's going to be desolation, crying, weeping, sorrow, horrible things. And there was only a time. They were, bar- they were living on that borrowed time. And the clock continued to tick away. Now listen, folks. I'm only a preacher in Findlay, Ohio. I wish this can be preached to every pulpit in America. But we are living on borrowed time. We are living on a time that God is clicking and ticking away. And it's coming. This spoken word was given to Josiah, stating that it's going to get bad. Huldah's prophecy makes two points. One is bad and one is good. The bad news is you can't stop it. I thought about this. There's a movement or a pressure from a preacher. Don't say anything negative because you're going to cause people to have anxiety. I had to deal with a guy a couple of months ago. Every time you preach, I get anxiety. Well, get right with God. <laughs> can't deal with your anxiety. I'm not going to change the message because you're fearful. I cannot stop the judgment of God. It's coming. That's set. When we started murdering babies, we started shedding innocent blood. Okay? We have changed the institution of marriage. Our churches are watered down. We have a falling away. We've got a mess. Our country is in derision. Look what happened to Amnon. This is Josiah's father. They killed him in the office two months, two years after he's in it. They killed him. This is a conspiracy. They messed him up. The country's in a mess. Josiah comes in a mess, and revival takes place. Watch this. Huldah said, I got some good news and some bad news. Hold up. Let me go ahead and get my iron back off that. You, you're you're, you're going to have judgment, but it's not going to come in your lifetime, Josiah. What does that mean? He borrowed more time from God by getting back to the house of God, by hearing that book. By responding to that book. That's why I look at you kids. I'm looking at teenagers. You look at me and say, you know, it's another, another one of those doom and gloom sermons. I'll post it on Instagram later and say, well, I got it through it again. And go back to your life. You hear it and you hear it and you hear it and you hear it and you hear it. I'm telling you, time is running out. Well, I can't change Washington. You can change you. I can't change Columbus, but how about Finley? How about doing something with the voice that God has given you? Amen. Sometimes you want to just crawl in a hole and say, you know what? I'll just kind of hang out somewhere away from everyone else. But that's not God's plan. Josiah said, you know what? I want to hear the whole counsel of God. Give it to me straight, Huldah. Okay. It's going to get bad, but not in your lifetime. Okay. You know what he could have done at this point? 
Brother Wilkins, he could have he could have probably said, well, then I'm just going to go home and I'm just going to hang out until the Lord takes me home. But he instituted 52 reforms in chapter 23 of Second Kings, 52 reforms. You read through those reforms. He cleaned house. And every pastor ought to do this once in a while. <laughs> Clean house. Things need to be cleaned up. And he cleaned house. And you can read those accounts of what he did and how far he took that and cleaned it up. And as I look at this, he was receptive to God's word. He took it seriously. And I hope, honestly, when I see you hear those kids over there, that's an awesome thing, isn't it? To hear them in church, hearing God's word, going to hear how to apply God's word to their lives. They're going to be so excited when they get back in your car today. Say, you're so, you're so awesome, Mom and Dad. I can't wait to come back next week. I'm going to bring a visitor. You know what you're going to do? You're going to love that. Why? Because this is an amazing work of God right there. Love it. Josiah pays attention to the written word. He's determined to seek God's word. He desires to hear the written word and the spoken word. And you'll find here he does care about what God says. And his heart was remarkably receptive. Remarkably receptive. He tore his clothes. He wept on just hearing what the old book said. And thus is true for everyone that seeks him. Because I want to know who this God is. I want to know what he says. I want to love him. And Josiah hears and loves, and God extends grace and peace in his lifetime. And then something interesting. I know that Israel is a covenant nation. Okay, I got that. We are a constitutional nation under God. They're a, they're a covenant nation under God. We're the only two nations in history that started with God. We have a very unique place, America's history, with Israel. We're not a covenant nation. Please note that. We are a constitution under God. Got that? So we have a very unique beginning. We started with God. No other nation ever had started with God. But note here something that he did. We can't do this today, but wouldn't it be awesome? Watch what he says in 2 Kings chapter 23. Watch this. This is when the reform starts. Verse number 1. And the king sent and gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, all the old heads get in here. And the king went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. There's a big crowd here. Okay, there's no social distancing in this crowd right here. And he read in their ears all. I'm not against social distancing. I'm just saying, okay, it just came to my mind. So I said it. And he and he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by a pillar. He made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of the covenant, which is written in this book. Now, watch this. Now, watch this. We've got children. We've got boys. We've got girls. We've got moms and dads, older folks. They're all around. And Josiah says, it's going to start with me. I'm making a covenant with God. I'm going to walk with God all the days of my life. Now watch this. And all the people stood to the covenant. They made a covenant with God and they stood together. And we're with you, Josiah. And they stood to the covenant. Now watch this incredible fall. Can you imagine our president doing that? I know that wouldn't happen. But can you imagine if you did that with your family? Dad. Imagine with you do that with your pastor, congregation, that we stood and we're saying, listen, let your nay be nay and your yay be yay. We've got so many people that are professional church hoppers. They not, they're not faithful anywhere. I'm saying that we need a people that are steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I don't have a problem with someone leaving a church that's going doctrinally wrong and they're messed up. I have no problem with that. We do have people that go from good churches to good churches and leave and they don't stay anywhere. They're not faithful. You know, we need in God's people, God's house, we need people that stand to covenants and say, we're going to do this and we're standing with God. We're on God's side against us, against our own selves. 
a covenant was made. <laughs> and last point, and I'm going to ask you a couple questions. We're going home. They're really having a good time. The cleaning began, verses 4 through 20, and worship was restored. They kept the Passover. Real true worship is really admonishing who God is and ascribing worth to him. When they cleaned house, they cleaned everything up. First, chapter 23 really explains that. Then they said, you know what? We haven't kept the Passover for quite a number of years. Let's go back to, look in verse 21. And the king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover unto the Lord your God. Chapter 23, is that, are you there? Okay. Unto the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Surely there is not holding such a what? Passover from the days of the judges to the judges of Israel, uh, that judged Israel, nor in the days of the kings of Israel, nor in the kings of Judah, but in the 18th year of King Josiah, wherein the Passover was holding the Lord in Jerusalem. This is not any kind of worship service. It's not just any Passover. They came to church. You know what they meant? They meant business. And it's not been like this for a long time. I'll say this. There's times where I come to church and I'm like, whoa, God was here. The people meant business. <laughs> I've been in some meetings today uh, that, uh, and not a, just a few of them, where God shows up and the people, the people are getting right. They're getting right with each other. They're getting right with God. And wow, what happened here? So here's a couple of closing questions. Our prayer, our prayer is that we should have what God give us clean hearts and clean hands, pure hearts before him, all of us. We ought to ask him to keep us humble and listen to this and receptive to his word. There ought never to be any time you read the Bible, a statement that comes from your depraved heart that says something like, I read this before. Every time we read the book, God, teach me something from this book. It is a living book. I had a guy one time that uh, his, he was a checklist guy, just a checklist. Check, 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 check. So once he read the Bible all the way through, he just checked it off. He said, got it done. And missing the person that wrote the Bible. Just checked it off. We should always ask God, give us receptive hearts to what is written. Josiah had a receptive heart. You know what God was doing? He was looking at that. Hey, uh, Gabriel, why don't you pull that Bible out so Hilkiah can find that thing. (laughs) Safan can find it. Okay. Look what I found. A Bible. A book. (laughs) Very good. Very interesting. Okay, and they listened, and he broke, and he humbled, and his heart was receptive. I've been to Israel too many times to have that accent down pretty good. Okay? (laughs) No worries, no worries. We turn our eyes, listen to this, from evil things and our feet from evil ways. We need to do that. We need to cast down all kinds of idols, whatever they are, Seen and unseen in our life and seek the Lord with all our hearts. I wish I had a clock up here because time is running out. The borrowed time that we're on is running out and judgment's coming. I can't change that. All we can do is delay it. Delay. Delay for more time to reach more people. And we need to pray and respond to God in light of his word all the days of our life. America exists on borrowed time. But we can borrow more time. We can borrow more time. Josiah, I won't do it in your lifetime. Thank you. But he didn't stop there. He just continued serving God. Some people get out of the foxhole and say, well, I'm going to go back to my life. How about getting out of the foxhole and serving God with it? Amen. Amen. They get saved, they they get right for a couple of years, and then you don't see them again. How about getting saved? How about getting right with God and staying right with God and doing right all the days of your life? How about being gray-headed in this church in 50 years from now saying, I'm still serving God? Amen? Or have no hair. Amen? But just serve God anyway. Heads bowed and eyes closed. America is living 
borrowed time. But would you be part of God looking at a congregation of people and saying, I wonder if I can give them more time. Would you get back to the house of God? Talk about those online tonight, today. Would you get back to the house of God? Would you get back to the book? Would you respond to the book? Would you hear the written word? We don't hear the spoken word today. It's not inspired. But boy, I tell you what, it shows who was looking deeper. He's wanting more. Would you do some cleanup in your life? Reform in your own life? Would you make your, your worship much more real? More than any other time in your life, your worship is now where it ought to be. That Passover must have been amazing. And what's your church, what's your service like to God? Time is running out.